Hi, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall. Where we engage in stimulating conversation about ways that we can bring positive change to musical theater. Tim. Yes. What puzzler do you have for us today? Okay, I have a really important one this week for you. Is it a challenging one? It's a challenging one, but I think it's even more than challenging. It's an important one. Okay. All right, you ready? Ready. Who was the first person to win a Tony Award that has a disability? Very good puzzler, Tim. I thought you might like that one. Well, we will circle back at the end of this episode, and we will discover that answer together. Moving forward, what's in the news? Just a few topics of the news I wanted to mention. First is that Catherine McPhee is going to be returning as Jenna in Waitress, the musical, from November 25th until the show's final performance on January 5th of 2020 when it is closing on Broadway. And for those of you that may not know who Catherine McPhee is, she won, or was she the runner-up of American Idol? No idea. Not sure. She was either the winner <laughs> or the runner-up. I can't remember. But she I don't did. watch that show. I've, I gave that up after the very first one. But I know that she did star uh, in at some point in the run of Waitress earlier, not yes. this year or the and year before. And then she just finished doing the West End production as well. That's right. And she's mm-hmm. going to be closing out. Uh, she'll be the final Jenna in, wait, in Waitress. Also, Jagged Little Pill, the musical that we've talked about quite a lot that we're very excited about, is about to start previews uh, on November 3rd, which is today. And when you listeners hear it, it will be yesterday. That's right. And of course, we know Diane Paulus from many shows, but I was looking at the uh, picture of the cast and it looks really diverse. Oh, that's exciting. Which is exceptionally exciting. So um, I've heard many different opinions about the show. I cannot wait to get out to New York to see it this year. Yes. And it's going to officially open on December 5th. Yes. Andrew Garfield has just been announced that he is going to be performing in the Netflix adaptation of Jonathan Larson's musical Tick, Tick, Boom. Yes. And uh, for those of you that do not know, Tick, Tick, Boom uh, was Jonathan Larson's second musical after Rent. And he passed away, unfortunately. And we never got to see Tick, Tick, Boom really take off. And somebody else, a few other creators finished the musical for him, the writing for him to get it up. Yeah. And so we're going to see Lin-Manuel Miranda at the helm and he's going to bring it to Netflix, which we're really excited about. Beautiful, the musical just closed on October 27th, and it had a wonderful run, almost six years, for 2,418 performances. Of course, about the life of... Carol King. Yes, from her, from as a teenager, as she grew up and became an adult in her career and discovering her career. And I also read in a recent uh, uh, post, uh, it was broadway.com or playable.com somewhere, I read that it was, or it is, the second longest running bio musical, so biographical musical. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, the second longest running musical, what the heck was the first? And I have been digging and digging and digging. So if any of you um, listeners out there, especially those of you that are musical theater nerds like us, if you can discover what the first, the longest running biographical musical is, send us a message. Find us on Instagram. I'm Ashley Lynn Espinosa on Instagram. Tim, you are? Timothy Espinosa, Tim Espinosa official at Instagram. Or find us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. You can send us an email at ashley at ashleyespinosa.com and let us know if you know what the actual longest running biographical musical is. And it's funny because I wanted to make this the puzzler. I know. But we couldn't figure out what the first one was. And so if anybody knows, and you probably have to go far back 
back because I can already think of a I handful of musicals. I looked at Fiorello. Yeah. I looked at Evita. I, I, yeah, I cannot figure it out. So I'm stumped. So there's our challenge to all of our listeners. Help us find the first biographical musical the ever longest written. longest running. Longest running biographical musical. Yeah. So the second one, of course, was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now we want to know what the first is. So if anyone can tell us, we will treat you to... Um, we will include you in our podcast uh, next week. Yeah, we'll give you a little shout out. And it's also important to note that uh, Beautiful Closing at this point now is the 27th longest running Broadway show. Wonderful. Just a note for all of you you listeners out there, next week is a holiday week, Veterans Day from Monday, and we are both going to be off, Tim and I, and so we are going to be taking some personal time for ourselves, so we will not have an episode for you next week. We will have a rerun episode for you, though, our very, very first episode that we ever recorded for this podcast Mm -hmm. as a replay, and we will see you in another week. I also want to do a shout out to the amazing Sherry Sanders. We had the, uh, both Ashley and I had the opportunity to host her this week and she spent the entire week with my students at Fullerton College both in my uh, students contemporary musical theater classes and their pop rock styles classes she also worked with my cast of Bright Star and she was just like a fresh breath of air that came in and really invigorated our students and if anybody has worked or knows Sherry Sanders you know the kind of infectious energy she brings into the room and I just want to just say it was an absolute blast hosting her in our home and spending amazing time with her. And um, if you don't know anything, check out Rock the Audition, Cherry Sanders. She is the real deal when it comes to learning how to implement pop rock styles into your performance and your audition. And now Sherry Sanders is based out of New York, Mm -hmm. and she just, we want to give her a big shout out because while she was here with us, her book was officially released. Her second um, revised book of Rock the Audition, How to Audition and Get Cast in Rock Musicals. It just was released on the Kindle edition. You can get it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then... I just in the next probably when you hear this podcast it's going to be available on paperback for you to order on Amazon as well and we gotta we gotta get her insight on what's included in this book and it is going to be so amazing so check it out if you want to learn more about Rock the Audition and how you can get cast in rock musicals how you can know the information of what to wear what to say what to audition with she is really such a great asset and she is taking the whole not even just the nation by storm, but internationally with mm-hmm. all of her master classes and training. So we love you, Sherry. Shout out to you. And we will have um, the coffee on standby next time you come out. I was starting to think, Tim, this past week, especially with the conversations we were having with Sherry about um, being inclusive, mm-hmm. having more representation on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I started to really wonder, what can we do to make auditions more inclusive so specifically what steps can we take that those of us that are casting directors directors choreographers music directors even those in the on uh, that are producers everyone that's at the table behind the table that's casting the musicals or the seasons what can we do to provide an environment that supports all people these are really important questions to ask because I think we often take for granted the diverse nature of the performers that come into the room. And uh, as an educator and as a director, I see so many different students from so many different walks of life that come to the table to audition for our musical productions. I think the first place that we have to start making accessibility known is in our casting breakdowns. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit. What are some of the things that we can do to make our casting breakdowns more inclusive? We've been discussing more and more about the idea of gender neutrality Mm -hmm. 
and how we can write, why do we need to write male or female? Right. Because that as a society, we are not just men or women. We have many different people that are gender fluid or that don't identify with either gender or, um, you know, that come from all walks of life. And so really trying to state and leave out anything that's not specific. I agree. And if a director has a specific vision for a show, for example, um, I'm directing an upcoming production of Chorus Line in the spring. And uh, thinking about this now, I want to make sure I go back in and make some adjustments to my casting breakdown. If you are a director that sees a certain role, say Cassie, uh, as more of a feminine energy, Mm -hmm. then maybe you want to uh, state that it's female identifying. Right, correct. If there's a certain character that has more of a masculine energy as part of your concept, then maybe you want to identify it as male identifying. And if there's a character that you don't, doesn't bother you, which, which side of the spectrum they lie on, then maybe you just say open, open to gender preference. Or we just leave that out because in a casting breakdown, I look at, okay, if I don't know the show, what, what is the person like? What is that? What are the characteristics Mm -hmm. of that person and where do they fall in the story? You know, I think we need to really start thinking about dropping the idea of not only gender, but age. Exactly. And something that I took away while watching Sherry work with my students, every time a student came up, she would ask, are you female identifying or are there any female or male identifying uh, performers out there that want to come up and work? And I, I'm kind of taking that to heart because I really want to include that in my dialogue, everyday dialogue. Yes. Uh, and also, of course, pronouns and how, uh, emphasizing the fact that I use uh, he, him, his as my pronouns. And I'm, I wear that as a badge of honor to support the community, the gender fluidity or gender neutrality. As an ally. As an ally. Mm-hmm. Right. Even- and many people, I think, look at that and they say, oh, well, this role, the name of it is... Um, so the, the role you're talking about in chorus line, the role is, um, well, you're talking about the role of Zach in chorus line. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the role is Zach and it's always played by a male. Well, just because something (laughs) has always been done one way. Doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that it can change. That's right. And of course, we need to look at the writer and we look at the contract to make sure that, you know, uh, the original intentions are, st- we're staying true to the original intentions. Of course. And Absolutely. have permission to manipulate, you know, gender. Absolutely. So you always have to check the writer, of course, and then you always have to make sure that you can make those uh, changes and that it's not going to, of course, change the, the, the playwright's intentions. Of exactly. course. We get exactly. that. But the way we're moving as a society now, when musical theater is finally catching up, I feel like, to where we are as human beings. (laughs) That's right. And so how can we do that? And leaving out gender, I also think not focusing on age. Mm -hmm. I I understand, obviously, if someone is a younger version of someone in the cast or if there is a father-daughter relationship, of course, that has to be addressed. But some people don't look their age that's right some I mean, people look exceptionally younger than they are yes, and some I'm, people look much older i'm almost 40 and <laughs> some people look at me and they're like 40 you are not and i'm like yes i am and i'm 42 and so many people say you know tim you look 22 and i can't believe how you uh, i'm just joking i'm just joking <laughs> but um sure that is a great point i think that and what we're referring to for those that don't know uh removing age out of the casting breakdown oftentimes it'll it'll say you know it'll describe the name of the character and then somewhere in the description of a character it'll say between the age of 21 and 30 or 25 and 30 yes why should that be a factor if they if 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 they appear to be the the right age then that shouldn't be an issue correct especially because lately we're seeing people on broadway for example when we saw to kill a mockingbird Mm -hmm. the i can't think of the actress's name right now but she always plays very young characters the girl that played scout in the show yes and that role is typically young teen well it's portrayed i mean originally like in the film it was you know a a young a young child right and she is 
I think close to my age. I, I think she's in her early 30s. And all the young the children actress. in To Kill a Mockingbird all were older, more mature yes. performers, but they carried a youthful energy about Absolutely. them. And so we were able to buy into that experience. And when you're doing eight shows a week, a lot of times younger people can't. And, and just recently, they're um, uh, casting Dear Evan Hansen's, Evan Hansen's that are age appropriate. Mm-hmm. But again, sometimes people look much younger. And so my point is that I think we can also really start to leave out age. Yes. So age, I think, is something that we can also leave out of our casting breakdowns. I agree. And another thing that we can also think about is utilizing person-first language when it comes to describing uh, certain types of character descriptions of characters in the show. And can you explain that for somebody out there that may be like person first, not first person, we're talking about person first. Can you explain that to everyone? So the best way I can describe it is... The idea that we are not labeling somebody with a disability or with a physical challenge or with a mental challenge, we are saying that they are people first. They're not identified solely by what their challenge, where their challenges lie. For example, a person with diabetes versus you have diabetes or, or ha- someone has diabetes. If you use the person first, you're identifying that they are human. They are, th- their disability does not define them. And it doesn't. Exactly. And we don't want them to feel like their their ability or their challenge or any circumstance that, that is just a part of their mm-hmm. life, that that is who they are. Yeah. We're still people. So, for example, you're a person from the Latinx community. Correct. And that, that, can, ident- that can be a myriad of different uh, walks of life. But I think that's important to identify that. Um, and you can say in your casting breakdown, a performer or an actor... Uh, I would say a performer or a person mm-hmm. uh, from the Latinx community or a mm-hmm. performer of color seeking specifically a person of color for this role. Mm-hmm. A person of color. Correct. I think it's really interesting because for people that maybe aren't, they, they don't have any challenges or limitations or um, that are just Caucasian, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's when we don't think of it because we think, oh, well, that's not, why would that bother somebody? Right. But it really does. Because we, we want to make sure that every artist feels like a human being when they go to the audition. Mm-hmm. And that these characteristics just happen to be part of that human being. And I think it's very, very important to make everyone feel in it, respected and inclusive in the audition. Auditions are hard as it is. <laughs> They're so challenging and nerve-wracking that doing this in your casting breakdowns really will help. Oh, I agree entirely. Another topic I want to dis- discuss about making a more inclusive and, and really a, a safer environment in auditions is I want to talk about the actual open audition mm-hmm. and then, of course, the callbacks. What can we do so that all people have an, an equal opportunity and that feel like they have the tools to do the very best job that they can at the audition? And I, I think what we need to do to make people more comfortable, to allow people to feel safe, is to... Make it accessible for everybody. Correct. Yes. Those with certain abilities, certain uh, challenges where they feel like they can they can come in even if they happen to um, be in a wheelchair, even if they are someone that needs special assistance, mm-hmm. um, making sure that the that what we're doing in the room is accessible for everyone. And I think we need to remove the notion or producers and directors, choreographers, musical directors need to remove the notion that everyone is going to be the same type of person or 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 the same come from the same walk of life. 
or the same mold. That is not the case. You know, uh, the world is so beautifully diverse, and we need to make sure that we celebrate. Though, though er, people from all walks of life are celebrated. So yes. So we need. To, so what does that mean? Accessibility. Uh, let's let's dig into that a little bit deeper. So for example, uh, a lot of times at auditions for musicals, right? The first mm-hmm. thing you're going to do is show up, and you're going to sing a little ditty mm-hmm. from from a song. You're going <laughs> to sing a song. Um, what if you are a person? that um, has challenges hearing Mm -hmm. and they need to perhaps have a a louder beat so that they can hear the music. How can we offer them that opportunity so they feel comfortable? And I think that would have to happen outside of the room before they come in at the, the monitor or as they're signing in. I think I've been really trying to rack my brain of how we can then utilize the sign in Mm-hmm. To also list, like when you fly, you mm-hmm. literally list. You know, do you have any allergies? Right. Do you have right. any? Do you have any? Do you need any assistance in in being um, uh, taken in a wheelchair from one place to another? Is there anything that we can do to assist you? Why don't we do that at auditions? And I think that people that have any physical challenges or accessibility challenges or suffer uh, or um, have hearing loss, mm-hmm. uh, I think they shouldn't be afraid to communicate those aspects of who they are to the people that uh, are signing them in yes. because then it arms uh, it arms the creative team because yes. they may have an interpreter on hand or they may have already tools in place to help make that performer that much more successful uh, successful in their audition and the same thing for somebody that needs an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, I ju- we just judged a high school festival mm-hmm. yesterday, mm-hmm. and I had a student walk in and they had an interpreter and they actually performed a song that they performed a song from Sweeney Todd and they signed the song and it was acting driven. It was emotional driven, but they signed it and somebody else was singing it and that was set up for them and they, and it was accessible. And we even had a judge with us that was very experienced with working with actors Mm -hmm. in that realm that could really guide us to give us the best tools of how to critique that person and offer feedback. And so I think making it maybe perhaps when you walk in the door, having not only a sign up but is there anything that we can help you with um to make your audition successful do you need any other um uh anything that we can offer to help you i i don't have the all the answers yet but just by talking about it makes me feel more comfortable already and and also if there's anyone that has visual challenges making font uh, if if they if maybe that they um struggle when it comes to uh, their ability to read small print, Mm -hmm. making larger font sizes for sides, having copies of those available, having audio audio recordings of the sides made available to performers as well. I think those are other steps that they can take to help our visually uh, challenged uh, performers. Yes, I agree with you. And there are so many more there are so many more sides of this topic, yeah. but it's something that I just wanted to bring to light. So if anyone out there has any experience with this or anything that they can add, please send us a message, let us know. But we really want to start advocating for that positive change and discovering ways together that we can make the audition room more inclusive so that yeah. everyone feels comfortable to show up because it's not comfortable to show up in the first place, let alone <laughs> when you need any type of assistance. And to ask for that help is very hard to do as a human being. And I also want to say one last thing too. Uh, This is to anyone that is directing a show or is responsible for creating character breakdowns. All of this work that we're doing is about advocacy. And it's very easy to write in a character breakdown. You know, we're looking for people from all walks of life. But I want to challenge you to go a step further and advocate for trying to implement that into your theatrical experience. Taking the 
taking the risks, having the imagination to cast performers from the deaf community, casting performers uh, with visual challenges, casting, uh, working with gender neutral performers. Uh, I think that there's so much room for creativity that's yet to be explored in that arena. And I think that it's one thing to write it down, take, take the opportunity to diversify your productions that much more. And once we start to do that, it will become more of a, quote, norm. I just did air quotes around norm for those (laughs) of you that can't see. Tim, what's the answer to our puzzler this week? All right. So the question was, who was the first person with a disability to win a Tony Award for Best Supporting Actress in a Musical? See how you said person? Mm -hmm. Just happens to be with a disability. Person first language. Wonderful. Of course that was. Ali Ali Stoker. Stoker. Yes, from Oklahoma, the most recent revival of Oklahoma, which was an important milestone. Uh, She really has been a champion for uh, people with uh, any challenges with accessibility. And I think that she's been a beacon of hope and a light for many of those that have been longing for the opportunity to either be on Broadway or live a have a professional career in the musical theater. And my hope is that eventually we're not even using the word challenge yeah. or limitation or disability, but that we are just saying, this person happened to win a Tony. That's right. So we're going to leave you with a little audio clip of Ali Stoker, the moment she won her Tony Award for Best Supporting Actress for the Revival of Oklahoma. And I think it's a beautiful moment, and we're going to leave you with that this week. We'll see you not next week, but the (laughs) following week. Have a wonderful holiday, everyone. Take care, everyone. This award is for every kid who is watching tonight who has a disability who has a limitation or a challenge, who has been waiting to see themselves represented in this arena. You are. 